Hey everybody, what's up? This is Joseph Coyne and welcome to the ACA Podcast. This ASCA podcast is proudly brought to you by Vold, world leaders in human measurement technologies. Vold systems are used by more than 1,500 of the world's most elite sporting teams, high-performance centers, and clinics to accurately measure human movement, performance, and rehabilitation. Vold's product suite includes the Nordboard hamstring testing system, ForceDex dual force plate system, force frame strength testing system, and Airband's wireless BFR cuffs. Also available are the Smart Speed Timing Gate system, for accurate and reliable speed and agility tests, and the Dynamo handheld strength and ROM dynamometer and inclinometer. Vold, for when accuracy matters. Hey guys, welcome back to the ASA podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Coyne, and this is episode 84. Now, before I start talking about our guest for this episode, I want to go over the 2022 ASA conference. This year, it's on the Gold Coast, November 4th to 5th, uh, and you want to be registering for it as soon as possible. The presented lineup is sensational this year, ranges from Melbourne Storm uh, coach Craig Bellamy to one of the fathers of modern strength and conditioning, Boyd Epley. It's it's an awesome, awesome lineup they put together, so please head over to strengthandconditioning.org and check it out for more information. So the guest for this episode 84 is... Emily Wilson. Emily Wilson has a master's degree in exercise science from Edith Cowan University and is an accredited ASCA level 2 strength conditioning coach. She's got a lot of experience in rugby league. She's worked for the South City Rabbitohs. She's worked for the Sydney Roosters. Um, alongside rugby league, she's also coached and continues to work with uh, youth netball players uh, and has a background in women's health and performance and youth development, um, especially in and around athletics. So in this conversation with Emily, she goes deep into female athletes and menstrual cycles, the myths and the facts about menstruation, as well as things like whether it's a worthwhile idea to try to tune your training to a female athlete's cycle. She also provides a ton of good ideas and resources on the best way for strength and conditioning coaches to approach menstruating athletes, so you don't have to tiptoe around the subject, as well as what to do if female athletes have amenorrhea. Now, it was an absolute treasure trove of information that Emily talked or gave to us in this episode. Uh, I'm sure you'll all find it super useful, especially if you work with female athletes. Hey guys, uh, well, we're back on the ASA podcast. Emily Wilson, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hey, um, look, we need to start at the start and look, uh, Tell us how you got into strength and conditioning, and then if you can take us on the journey from, from how you got into it and when you started off to, to where you are now and what you're doing now, that'd be awesome. So pretty much like most coaches, I was a javelin, well, an athlete when I was younger, but specialized in javelin. So I had fun throwing sticks out very far, and part of our training, we were into getting into the gym. And unfortunately, my coach at the time wasn't very skilled in the gym, but basically got given free play where use any equipment you wanted, but make sure you do three sets of six because it showed that we weren't going to get big and bulky. And I was like, there's something missing in this. Um, Figured that we could strive a lot better. And I was also worried that I could potentially be injured if I was doing the wrong thing without much supervision. So when it came to year 12, picking what subjects, like what university degree to do, I picked a human science degree to try and go into that world of exercise prescription and see how it could improve my performance. And then being a like a dance teacher and athletics coach on the side, I knew that you needed to kind of bring all the pieces together, not just focusing on the skill sides of things. Um, so I went digging deep, found some textbooks for myself, had a few um, inquiries in certain lectures that I had in uni. And then one day, uh, Ema came through saying they were offering an internship with the South Sydney Rabbitohs um, as for either a sports scientist or SNC for our final year. And I almost didn't apply. Luckily, I did. Um, and was luckily to be a part of that club for four years. Um, not as an SNC originally, but as a sports scientist. But in saying that, I got to see all the different processes involved, really sparked that kind of desire to become a strength and conditioning coach. Um, so when I was there, after my first year as an intern, I got offered 
the following year to be the head strength and conditioning coach of their new women's team, which was for New South Wales Rugby League. It's kind of like the reserve grade to the NRLW that they have now. Um, and that was to take the girls through all their paces for the whole season to hopefully one day build the program for when the Rabbitohs were to get their NRLW license. So that was pretty cool to be the start of that kind of journey for the club and kind of set a pathway in place for female athletes, which was very special at the time. Um, and aside from learning my way through the rugby league system, I also was coaching netball, soccer, athletics still. I still haven't let go of that part of me to this day. And it was really good because I got to test theories, play around with certain things to really work out how I could gain the best possible experience for my athletes in the future. Um, and considering they were all junior athletes during recreational um, sport, it's really easy to kind of test things because you don't have those hierarchies over you, giving you that pressure to make sure it was a do or die decision. So it was kind of fun and you could really, I could really test myself. Um, and then since the whole Rabbitohs journey, I have been very fortunate to be given the opportunity last year to be the head of performance for the Roosters NRLW team. So even though it was a bit of a six-week competition journey, it was like the best experience ever, even though COVID ruined it. It was still a massive learning curve, um, getting into that more elite environment for a women's sport. And since I haven't been back at footy this year, I've taken a step back into Netball New South Wales as their SNC for their under-17 state teams. And they're emerging talent for the regional and metro girls around New South Wales and has been amazing doing their speed, their gym and doing what I love, basically. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. That's cool. That's cool. But the rabbits and the roosters, there you go. <laughs> Still hey, don't know uh, who I, to go I, for to this day. Yeah, yeah. What do you do there? I don't know. I don't know. Hey, um, might flip a coin, no pun intended. Hey, uh, <laughs> I, um, I know a really big interest area of yours is uh, female athletes, puberty and uh, the menstrual cycle. Um, do, do you want to just uh, start speaking to that um, and just give, give the listeners a sort of outline of the basics of, of what happens in, in those sort of uh, in a menstrual cycle and, and, uh, and during puberty? So I'll start off with the whole process through puberty. So... A young menstruator, whether it be one who identifies as a boy or a girl, um, would start to have their breast buds appear two to three years before their actual first period begins. And that's, you know, you can you can kind of tell with a particular skinny kid if certain changes like that are beginning to appear. Um, obviously, their parents are going to know more about it than you, depending on how long you see them. Um, and then after their breast buds are formed, they usually have a year before their period the cervical fluid starting to appear on their undies. So the cervical fluid, for those who don't know, is just general fluid that the cervix produces that cleans the vagina naturally. So that is a clear indication as to what part of the cycle the menstruator is at, whether it's a perfect indicator of fertility. As they get older, it becomes a little bit more important. Um, whilst they're waiting for their first period to appear, they've got body um, pubic hair spurting up everywhere. They've got their breasts becoming a bit more um, larger. They've got curves starting to form. And sure enough, once their cervical fluid turns like an egg white, you will definitely know that 14 days later, their first period will arrive. Because when the cervical fluid turns into egg whites, basically the egg has left your ovaries and you have started your ovulating. And that's how you know Obviously, the eggs come down, and if you're not pregnant, your period will start. So going into those first couple of days in your period for these young menstruators, it's all a big, scary time for them. Um, those first four or five days typically are bleeding days, where the, inter the internal lining of their uterus is shredded, and there's a hormone, well, there's a, I'm pretty sure it's a hormone that's called prostaglins that cause your uterus to contract and that's the pain that they feel whether it's in their stomach in their back it could be all over them depending on every person has different symptoms and that's what's causing the bleeding and textbook bleeding lasts for five days some people could have it for two days some people could have it up to seven days those poor things um, but that's generally what happens in the first phase 
During the shredding part of your uterine lining, your follicle stimulating hormone is spikes up. And this usually is signals from the pituitary gland to stimulate the follicle growth for your ovary. And that's where that egg is being matured. So it can be shown as the best possible product to then be released from your ovaries down your fallopian tube. And that's how you know when you're fertile and actually going to be potential to conceive to have a child. Uh, whilst your follicle stimulating hormone is producing, your estrogen is also starting to produce in your ovaries. And that is how you can prepare for a new egg. While the follicles are absorbing the follicle stimulating hormone, they will grow in size and begin to produce estrogen. The pituitary gland will continue to assess, assist in this process. And once estrogen peaks, there is a signal release to actually release the egg from your ovaries. And some females or some menstruators can experience a little twinge of pain on the side where depending on which ovary it comes from. And that's how some people can also know when they're at that day 14 in their cycle. Um, if they can't tell from their cervical fluid. Uh, the luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone will continue to surge together to keep pushing the egg from the ovary and travel down the fallopian tube. And this will mark the big event of ovulation, which usually occurs at the midpoint of the cycle. And if you've got a textbook 28 day cycle, it's roughly on day 13, 14 or 15. Once ovulation has occurred, the luteal phase will begin, which is going to create that nice nest for the egg in your uterus for, to support fertilization uh, for the possible pregnancy that your body is hoping for. At this stage, the ruptured follicle, which originally housed the egg, will form the corpus luteum and supply progesterone to ensure the uterus lining is maintained to make sure they can house that fertilized egg. Progesterone and estrogen will continue in high concentration on the back end of your cycle so they can sustain lining, but will decay when the signal is received that the egg isn't fertilized. As this decays, your lining will obviously start to shed again, like it did at the beginning of your cycle, and you will bleed once again. Um, if you're lucky enough, like most females, you could have a 28-day cycle, which is a very typical textbook one, but it could be between any day between 21 or 35. And for most young menstruators at the beginning, you're looking at more at the 38 day, um, 35 day, sorry, limit because they're not used to the hormones starting to develop and it's going to take a little bit while for your body to find their groove. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it. That's the process. It's a very easy way. Gotcha, gotcha. And then, so, so for, for a strength conditioning coach, um, or we might have, uh, say, teachers uh, or, or physical therapists, physiotherapists listening to this, what, what is the main reason you would suggest we, we really need to be aware of this um, in young female athletes? There's a lot of areas that would raise concern as to why the menstrual cycle needs to be talked about because majority of the time periods are talked about in such a negative light. So then they could be using their periods to I understand that some have really bad symptoms, but they could use this to get out of training and they could not also raise a wet like raise the issue that I have significant period pain what is wrong with me because some people some kids are taught just accept the pain that's natural that's what happens because usually it's whether their parents or like they get told in schools periods are assault like revolve around pain and that's not the case anymore because usually if you have pain or these aggressive symptoms you may have an underlying condition. And if you can catch it early, it's going to bring them a lot more relief later on in life. And then they can even understand how if they get their body in order, especially when all these hormones are related to their performance, it could ultimately get them performing amazingly further down the track. Because um, I have this conversation with my athletes all the time that would you tell, if you had nationals per se, and your period arrived and you know day one is horrible, full of pain, would you pull out a nationals, something that you've been working on for the last year and you normally have that conversation and they automatically would say no. And I would tell them, well, would you like to figure out how to manage this pain better? Do you want to learn if it's your diet that's got a problem to it? Are you sleeping enough? And if you raise the issue of periods, they're going to start questioning whether are these symptoms normal or could it be better? Um, and normally research is showing that if you actually talk about periods in that positive light, they're more likely to check up on themselves, go talk to their doctors about their symptoms. They're more likely to 
kind of find a solution and then run with it and embrace the whole period power that they can have because obviously as you would know certain phases of the cycle are better for performance than others so they could also use that to kind of psych themselves up if by the lucky chance their carnival or major competition falls on that week so you could kind of work that into how you would prep them mentally as well so and then aside from all of that reds is a massive concern with female athletes and some of them if they've got really excessive period pain and their periods disappear they probably would be cheering because they don't have to deal with the pain the changing of products all the time especially if they had a heavy flow and if they disappear their periods they would think this is a positive thing rather than being susceptible for reds which for those of you who don't know um it's a energy deficient disorder so if they aren't eating properly and it's not matching their energy output, they're more likely to lose their periods. There's bone density issues related into that and they end up becoming weaker, energy deficient and sometimes having, you know, serious injury problems at the end of it. So very important topic to talk to your athletes, especially at a young age, because then they'll bring on those good habits later on in their careers, hopefully. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah it, it, is, it is like traditionally such a almost taboo topic for, yeah. Um, for uh, especially male coaches to talk to female athletes about, um, and uh, yeah, obviously that, that's changing. Is, do you have any tips for coaches, not necessarily males, but even females, that, that you can use to um, create this positive uh, mindset or uh, representation of men- menstruation uh, that you just mentioned uh, for, for the listeners out there right now? A uh, big thing would be don't tiptoe around the subject athletes are really good at picking up your mood and reading the room so if you if they find out that you're uncomfortable talking about it they probably won't open up about it with you either so you need to feel really confident with yourself in approaching the topic um it is getting a lot easier now for people to be comfortable with hearing vagina blood tampon all that kind of stuff in conversation because luckily with the menstrual movement we're really pushing down the barriers and it will be extremely easy for most female coaches now to talk about it for you male coaches out there. I can understand it could be a bit squirmish. It's still a bit squirmish in my household without my dad. Um, But, you know, I'm trying to create that conversation um, here at home for making it more positive. Um, But yeah, don't tiptoe around the subject because they'll pick up straight away that you're not going to want to talk about it and then good luck trying to get them to open up. Um, other things would be just picking it up in conversation, so to speak. So I know with some of mine, they're my athletes who are track and field athletes, they're now 15, 16. I can, because I see them all the time. I've had them since they were nine. I can pick up on their mood. So I would just normally have a conversation with oh, how are you feeling today? And they, some majority of them see me as their big sister. So it's easy for them to be like, oh, I've got my period today. Like, oh, let's not talk about it. But if I notice that they're talking in a negative tone, I'll be like, oh, when I was competing, you know, I wish that I was on my period because I knew I was going to PB. I knew I was going to throw really good. So why don't we try and like tap in this energy that you're going to have? So try and twist their words because they're not going to want to talk about it because, you know, their symptoms might be horrible. I get it. But try and see if you can see a positive way out of it for them Um, because especially if they're going to be competing, you're going to have to try and mentally talk them into that positive, like you'll be fine, you can compete, you can like run swim you'll be sweet um and the other good thing i like to twist is um training is always generally supposed to be harder than competition because you need to prepare for every kind of situation in comp so if you're get if you get them into training and they've got really bad pain whether it's the start of their cycle or that horrible week before that most menstruators would know about you try and use training as a practice to kind of cope with that pain if it was to appear in competition. So it's the old kind of philosophy was let's put them on a hormonal contraception. That way they can skip it at competition time and wouldn't have to worry about their periods, which is actually becoming a bit dangerous now because most females are having problems with conceiving later on in life, not just because they've delayed it, but because of the whole hormonal contraception intervene um, system that they had going on. Um, So instead of trying that, forcing them straight on to or suggesting them down the hormonal contraception part um trying to see if you can use training as a way to 
practice, which is what you normally do for competition anyway, but practice methods like you might have to do an extra, a longer warm up or do extra stretches around the hip region because they might have discomfort there or they might have the stiffness. So you need to obviously make them a bit more loose, particularly at the start of the cycle. Um, try a different pre-game meal that might help with some of the um, symptoms. So I know magnesium is usually suggested, so try and have foods with higher magnesium, but I know not within my scope, grab a dietitian for all that, but that's generally what is recommended. Um, so if you can get them to know positively that they can get through training, if that unforeseen event happens at competition, especially in a contact sport such as rugby league, not very comfortable to have a tackle around your trunk area, you know they will know confidently that they can get through it. Um, so it's another good way to make it that positive experience as to kind of use it as an excuse. But those who do have endometriosis and all those conditions and very severe symptoms that can't be helped, that's when you should be able to have that conversation with, say, the head coach in terms of selection. Like, if it's not a serious game, is it okay if I sit out this time? Like, have that positive dialogue for that worst-case scenario. Because um, I do know every, theme, every menstruator experiences different symptoms. If ever they've tried everything and it still doesn't work, but still see if they're given that possibility. Because, um, you know, no one should be in pain. No one should have those negative things and they should still be able to do support without uh, those limitations. So, yeah. Mm, it's so interesting. So interesting. You you mentioned, um, like, uh, say, one of the scenarios you'd run past your athletes was, hey, if this was nationals, um, you might still need to go out there and, and, uh, and compete. Yeah. Um, and you also talked about uh, the contraceptive route. And, and I know of teams that have had all the females on contraceptives so they could um, basically time their way into important events. Mm. Um, do you have any uh, suggestions around timing um, and using, using things naturally to, to time your way into events um, where you might not want to be uh, in, in menstruation or, or pre-menstruation um, at the event, or is it something that you just have to uh, lump it if you are? <laughs> um, well, for the majority of the athletes that I have, they're in that adolescent period and they have no regularity. It's just naturally where it's like you hit a dartboard, you hope what you can, you know, fingers crossed you get it right because they're going from 24 days to 35 days I had one particular athlete that she was so regular she was on point we're like sweet you're going to be in this phase for national trials perfect gets it a week earlier and then everything throws out of whack so when it comes to that age group I guess you can give it a go you can probably do with your gym side of things is a little bit easier to control if they're very open about when their cycle turns up and whatnot depending on how much communication you have but it's very, very hard at that age because even if you think they've gotten a bit more regular naturally, they might have a very stressful exam block and that throws you out for the next three months because surprisingly, if you are stressed out, the effect on your cycle will not become apparent for three cycles later. So it takes 100 days for a follicle with the egg to actually mature. So that's why usually it takes three months after you've dropped off, say, the pill for your periods to start becoming normal again. So if you know they've got, especially if they're in year 12 or year 10 with their massive exam blocks, especially when it used to be the school certificate, um, that stressful period, you would be expecting different changes three months later. So that's usually the advice they say when alterating kind of things. So that would be a good consideration to have in mind. So if you, if their exam book is three months before nationals, you would definitely be suggesting over those next three months, increase your sleep, really watch your diet. Let's try and manage your stress because then that could stuff up their nationals forum without them realizing. Um, it's a lot easier. So once they've had their first period, it takes they're suggesting it takes 12 years for it to become naturally regulated without having a hormonal contraception into it. So I guess good luck trying to regulate it and trying to match it up with periodization. Um, but you generally would have to either wait till they're older or, I mean, I'm not, I'm personally not a fan of hormonal contraceptions based on the evidence out there and my stance on it. But if they are in those kinds of methods, like good job you're going to have a, like a 
a fake bleed regulation because um, the hormonal contraceptions don't regulate the period. Um, it's a withdrawal bleed. So you actually lose the ovulation, all that fun progesterone benefits that you would get. Um, but if they are on hormonal contraceptions, you'll be able to definitely periodize those four weeks, mirror it up with the um, your competition schedule because they will still have those energy drops. Someone actually spoke to me about it the other day is would you still do it on the contraceptions? And I was like, yeah, girls still, women still experience the drop in energy at the end. Um, but yeah, it's hard to say because even if they are regular naturally, the slightest thing could put them off. Um, and also if competition schedules, depending on your sport, with the, particularly with athletics, competitions are really dense. And if you're trying to trial for elite teams, you're going to obviously try and fit in as many competitions if you're chasing for that qualification and that could overstress the symptom throughout the um, menstrual cycles out of whack. So it's very, very, I would say a delicate kind of process that you're going to really have to nurture and just hope for the best because there's still a lot of stuff we don't know. Um, luckily, there's a lot more research now in women's um, menstrual health and they're relating it to performance because majority of the theories that we're basing on females was done on men way back and majority of the theories I've learned I can't really relate so to speak it's just like a trial and error um, but that is all changing there is evidence out there especially in the years coming they're relating it more just to not general population but actual athletes covering strength base endurance base trying to mimic it to the sports which is what Chelsea got to do last year with their, well, last couple of years with their women's soccer program. So there'll be more to come on that. Oh, yeah. Look, that, that's so interesting. The um, Even the 100-day period, like if, if you're on the stress event, 100 days uh, for, for the cycle leading in, that's something you might need to be yeah. thinking about um, three months down the track and trying to trying to minimise that and, and forward planning from that. Um, yeah, that, yeah. That's, a, that's a massive thing. The... You mentioned um, it takes around 12 years after the um, first menstruation before a female might become naturally regulated. Is that is yep. that um, like is there a window? Is it like plus or minus seven days um, up until that point um, where females might be having their period or, or, or um, might not be? Um, I haven't come across the exact like kind of rough days because, like I said, the if an external cue has changed something, you could throw it off. But I do know that for the first two years, you like, yes, first two years, about half of your cycles that you get, ovulation has actually occurred. So that's another thing. So not all your mature eggs will actually leave. So half, half the time you'll have an ovulation, which means half the time you'll have progesterone in your system. And as you keep going through puberty, that amount of ovulatory cycles will increase. So after so up to the next five years, you'll have 70, 75%, sorry, of those will be an actual ovulation event has occurred. And then the following years after that, you've got about 80%. And that's apparent, that is what scientists are saying right now is the mature rate. So even that 20% that's not there, you could still be very irregular after you've had that 12-year period of menstruating. So it's still very hit and miss. Um, because majority of females, based on the data that they collected from, would have had periods of on hormonal contraception. So that could sway the data a little bit as, we, you know, with the feminist movement, we're becoming off more the hormonal ones and going on the non-hormonal ones now that we have those options available to us. So I feel like those numbers could be taken with a grain of salt considering how society has kind of changed what we use. Um, and this is off general population. So an athlete would be completely different. So particularly if they've had periods of reds or depending on their sport, if they have to have a low fat intake, the hormones aren't pumping a lot because that's where hormones obviously come from. So that could also sway as to how regular their periods are or if they have underlying conditions, we have no idea. So, I mean, take it with a grain of salt, but that's generally what happens at, in the re um, research, sorry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool, cool. And another thing you mentioned was that you've got these parts of the cycle and, and you went through the cycle previously, but there's parts of the cycle that might be more or less are related to increased performance with uh, with females. 
Can you give the listeners a little bit of a breakdown of, of where you might think um, maybe uh, coaches might be able to maximise certain parts of the cycle or, or uh, if it's worthwhile um, to try to match up your sort of training blocks with, uh, with what's happening with the, with the female's menstruation cycle? Uh, yeah, so it's a lot to do. I'll go through the phases first. So some people have made it a little bit easier to describe these phases, which will work great if you're telling an athlete or even your head coach of your football team. So the four phases are usually broken up into the seasons. So the first phase when you bleed from day one to roughly seven is your winter phase. So that's when you want to hibernate a little bit more. You're not going to want to do much. Your energy isn't there for you to exercise. It's more to restart your nest in your uterus, you know, get rid of the blood of the, you know, as your brain's thinking, the failed pregnancy attempt. Um, and you're not going to want to do much. So that's when you would want to do more. I would, if you do like a four-week block in the, say, in the gym, that would typically be my week four, so my deload period, because they're obviously going to be feeling a little bit of, wait, no, that's not my deload period. I will start that all again. I apologise. <laughs> I've worked out what it is now. Um, so the way people describe the four phases in the cycle, which is the, it's become a very simpler, simple way to link it with the seasons that we have throughout the year. And it's a very simple way to explain to your athletes and explain to, say, your male skills coach who doesn't really know much about the topic. So the first week so from day one to day seven usually with your bleeding period is associated with winter so obviously in winter you're not going to want to do much it's going to be nice and cold so you want to rug up and just stay in bed that generally is what happens because your energy isn't high because you're shredding your uterus and you need to kind of restart your system so to speak because of the failed pregnancy attempt that your brain is thinking of even though you didn't want to get pregnant when you're in that phase Typically, you could put it as either week one or week two of a four-week gym program. So where it's like a the loads are kind of low, you're, it might be focusing on technique more as before the, the loading intensity goes up. So that way, they're not overstressing the system so much and that will mirror the low energy output that they would have considering their hormones are very low at that point and estrogen is on its way up to increasing again. So after day seven, so 7 to 14, we are going to enter into spring. So that's when our energy levels are going to start to increase a little bit more. You can increase the intensity in the gym or even on your conditioning program. And that's because estrogen is increasing again. So that's where we're getting ready to have our egg pop out of our ovary again to start that ovulation. So you can get away with either doing week two or week three in a block, but you just know that you can really maximize your performance there. I noticed myself, I've, I've spoken to my own athletes about it. You do feel that change after you come out of winter, so to speak. Um, and you can usually ride that into the next phase, which is your summer phase. So once you've ovulated from day 14 to 21, you are in the summer phase, you're more social, you've got all this energy, you really want to do a lot of things. So obviously we love summer, we love getting out in the sun, all that kind of thing. So you want to really hope that your competitions falls in those middle two weeks um, so you can get the most out of your estrogen and progesterone coming up there also to come to the party. Um, that could also be your week two, week three, depending on how you're loading your programs. And then after summer finishes, all those listeners would know what it's like the week before your period. You want to go away. It's in your autumn phase where that cold weather returns that you don't want. Your mood changes. You get frustrated. And that's usually what I like to do with the final week of the program. So, like, they're might starting to get their symptoms. So, if they experience PMS, they're going to have energy deficiency. They'll be cramping. They might feel really heavy and bloated. They might not want to squat very heavy or deadlift. So, why don't you bring them on that, that last week of the program so they can kind of chill, refocus before they go into the next phase. Um, and depending on how your athlete feels, if they feel like they get most of their energy out in their summer period, you could use that autumn period as week one of your cycle. And then your period where you winter could be week two and you can maximize their energy in that week three of their program when they're in their spring. I've tried that with some of them. They've gotten some good results. But if they're saying that they also don't have energy in summer, it could mean that they're using too much of their energy in that winter 
spring, um, sorry, yeah, winter spring phase at the start of their cycle, they, they should have energy that continues all the way through to halfway through your winter phase. So that could be another way to kind of revisit whether they have enough sleep, are they recovering enough? Are they eating enough? So then that way you can maximize both your spring and summer phases. Um, but it's very hard to kind of judge if you're in a team environment. So obviously if you have an individual athlete, it's very easy to make sure the gym program, if it's a field conditioning or even speed can match their cycles, depending on how much time and resources available with the team. I did try it by doing it very individual gym program and kind of kept it a generic conditioning field speed stuff for the team. Um, however, if I knew that the particular player was on their autumn week, I would come up to him and be like, instead of trying to beat the clock today, why don't you say, and we were doing a Bronco, which for those of you who doesn't know what a Bronco is, it's a multi-step, like multi-shuttle run that goes 20, 40, 60. Um, I would tell them instead of focusing on trying to beat the time, why don't you focus on your technique when you do the change of the line, when you change direction and push off the line instead of trying to waste all this energy that they know they don't have and feel even worse about themselves that they didn't fit the time. So you can kind of change the intensity on the field with some cueing and just general conversation without having to change the whole session for them. I've noticed that's been really time efficient in that whole team environment, but if you've got an individual athlete, no problems there. You should be able to fit it in. Um, hopefully they're very open about it uh, and um, do what you can in the team environment. Your gym setting is usually your best bet because it's a lot easier because if you, you should be doing an individual program anyway for, well, hopefully if you've got time for each athlete because there's obviously going to be different strengths and weaknesses for them. So you can try and add that layer of a period cycle too and should be good. Mm-hmm. I love that analogy of the seasons. That's awesome. It's really good. It's actually the first time I've heard that. It's, it's really, really good. Um, the and it, and it makes a lot of sense. It's easy to relate to. It's easy for coaches to relate yeah. to. It's easy for coaches to speak to. Uh, what um, w- one thing? One question I did have, and uh, this might be um, just like an urban myth, but uh, females uh, sometimes sync up when they're in a team environment, so all their <laughs> menstrual cycles um, mirror one another. Is that something you've had experience with, like in the team settings you've been involved with, or is it all over the show? Is, is that um, just not accurate from your experience? Um, it's actually not accurate in the literature. No one actually syncs up. They, back in the day, they would have, because apparently evolution says that, particularly in the ice ages when, you know, the guys would go out and get the food and the women stay back, they would sync up so they would feel protected together. But as you move away from people. We don't actually sync up anymore. So I know it's a big myth and people think, oh my goodness, we're synced up. And my dad always says that, you know, God designed it that way. So we only had to go through the period once instead of three times in a month, you know, smart, but doesn't actually happen. Um, No, none of my teams have actually synced up. Um, Back when I first started with the Rabbitohs girls, they didn't actually talk about it. It wasn't until my last year with them that they got a little more comfortable, but um, you know, we didn't sync up. We didn't <laughs> have those things. Even with my junior throwers, there's none of that. Um, however, I think by chance, 30% of my netball team did, but um, they weren't exactly day one together. They could be bleeding together, but it wasn't exactly in, like, in time. So that could be why people think they sync up because they could be like one's on day one of their cycle. One could be on day five, but oh my goodness, we're bleeding together. So that could be why they think it syncs up nowadays, but unfortunately, no. So, at, so at at most, you've had thirty percent of the same squad uh, at the same time in your experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. But not, but they're not like all day one. Like we had, like say, three girls rock up and they were all on a period. But I didn't like we didn't probe as to what day they were on. But they're like, oh my god, me too. And I was like. Great. Well, we'll just put you over there. Um, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. What? Um, <laughs> speaking of this, obviously, tracking the uh, menstrual cycle becomes important. Do you have any tools that you can share with us that uh, uh, coaches can pass on to athletes that they can start using so they can better understand uh, what's going on? Yeah. So, what um, I would recommend to any athlete um, or even any 
menstruator listening because you know we need to learn more about our bodies because it does make a massive difference um normally with their diaries they if they use a diary whether it's on their phone or a hard copy one um what i generally do is i highlight what phase i would be in so i use the four colors i highlight out the season so when i'm planning i can kind of know oh this is going to be my energy week i'll plan more stuff down that week to save, make sure I don't burn myself out, say, when I am bleeding. Um, so that's one big thing that you can do. You can map it out, especially if you're regular. You can do that for the rest of the year. So if you know you need something done three months down the track, you can kind of plan it that way. Um, other things you can also do in your diary, um, even if it's a like a training diary or your actual diary, use a couple of words to describe how you're feeling on each day of your cycle. So. If you know that, say, around ovulation day, day 14 or 13 or 15, you feel really happy, you've got all your energy, then you'll know a trend. So then you can go to your coach be like, oh, so if we're going for testing day, can we do it on this day? And see if you can kind of bring in that performance side into that into with your period. So, I mean, all perfect situation, you're not going to have your high energy day when you compete, but see if you can get those big training days out on those days. Um, you might even know if you're around day 23, 24, a lot of women represent um, report that they have very sluggish energy. They start feeling very heavy because obviously you're going into that, your bleeding cycle again. So you could tell your coach, okay, um, these days are coming up. Are we able to plan for that? Or are you going to even know? try not to have, try and have a day off instead of an actual training day or have a light training day instead because you may have other things going on because most female athletes have either part-time, full-time jobs, their mothers. So those also things could help plan their cycles with their training. Um, and that's the kind of old-fashioned way if you like that pen and paper or calendar, but there's heaps of apps out there that you can track your cycles. So Flow is the one I use. It's really good. You get to select like your how heavy your flow was when you're bleeding any symptoms it's a way to track even if you've had your like your sexual life so you can know when you last had it because if you miss your period like oh go back and check if you were good or not um then you've got you can track your symptoms whether it covers the positive ones the negative ones so your mood is another one whether you're craving your bowel movements, it literally covers everything. And then it even talks about the type of discharge you're having. So you've got sticky, creamy, the egg whites, obviously when you're fertile coming into ovulation or very watery. And then you can even log your exercise. And based on the symptoms that you give, it can predict where, when your period's turning up. It could predict and tell you why you're experiencing a headache because it might link into your symptoms. And it's an easy way for you to kind of learn a little bit about your cycle. Um, obviously, you take it with a grain of salt. They're not an actual doctor. And if they're saying that this symptom could be related to a negative aspect of your period, it kind of starts that language for you to go and see a doctor. Um, and I do know that the Fitter Woman apps, I'm not too sure which, which country they're from, but I'm pretty sure they're from England. You can actually use those. It's like Flow, but the coaches have access to it. So you can share the data to your training and it's an easy way for you to monitor it. Um, what we were doing, um, we started to implement with our rehab team at Souths was we would hand out the questionnaires for the daily monitoring and it would have an option what day of the cycle you were at um, and they could write down their symptoms. And that was the way we could keep on top of it. Um, and it's very easy. I just depends on how many questions you're already asking them on your daily monitoring sheet, depends on whether they're gonna buy into it or not. Um, so that'll be something that you could play around with. Um, or if they're very open, like my throat was are even at 13, 14, they tell you everything and you can just write it down and your periodized plan and then you can keep a record of it. Um, that's also a way you can do it. Just depends on the relationship mm. you have with them. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, some, some great resources, uh, the flow and the fitter and, and even just the um, mapping it out, pen and paper um, along, along those seasons. Uh, and, and reporting back. The um, one thing I want to circle back to, you, you talked about the training um, and sort of some changes you might make uh, during during sort of the autumn or the winter. I'll, I'll use that terminology. Um, you, and you said you might not squat or deadlift heavy in those times and, and things I've 
I've seen and, and even instituted sometimes with, with some uh, females that were really heavy uh, menstruators with maybe no axial loads in, in weeks where they really felt like it, it was, uh, it, their back was compromised or something like that from, yeah. from the menstruation. Are those strategies worthwhile? Are those things you do? Um, what's your sort of, is it an individual um, uh, individual course of action? What, what would you recommend there, Emily? Um, I guess each case would be different. You you would know your athlete the best because depending on their symptoms, if they, you know, those endometriosis sufferers, they're in a lot of pain. So you would definitely try and alterate things because if they're doing a hip thrust and they have those lesions around their pelvic area, that is not going to feel comfortable. So try and get them to do something else, whether it is, you know, a body, like still try and achieve that goal of that glute strength or you know, the lower body power kind of building, um, but a different alternative. Like, I mean, COVID's taught us different ways to kind of change the modality. So if you can't get them to squat low, maybe a box squat could work or chuck them on the leg press machine or try and even get them to squat with a weighted vest could be also feel a little bit more comfortable because there's not so much on them. Um, but literally like a weightlifter, I know it's very, very specific to like bar strength training, they might have to perform those heavy moves on competition day. So I feel like you still would have to do it to an extent, but use the approach. You have some round up days and you have some round down days. So they might even take a little bit more weight off the bar and still try and do it. Um, or you would use it. I would suggest normally chuck in a little bit of extra warm up because what, again, the whole kind of point of what happens if this appears on game day or what happens if this appears in comp, because you can't, take things out because obviously they're expected to perform so that i know i might sound a little bit harsh by being on that stance but at the same time if they're on hormonal contraceptions they can't skip it so they're going to have to deal with it unless they could get out of that competition but that's a very small possibility in someone's situations because if they don't compete they could not get paid um so i feel like if they register that they can't do certain things in the training situation. That's when if they're lucky enough, get the sports dietitian in to see if it's a, we can figure out their diet. Are they sleeping enough? And I know they seem very general fixes, but that could be what solves it. And they, then they could be squatting normally. They could be doing those deadlifts, those um, exercises that could flare up their symptoms and then wouldn't cause any problems because say you're, you're in rugby league or even in netball, if that's a non-contact sport, which we all know it's contact, um they could get punt like could get an elbow in those symptoms which would still be caused with the bar so I feel like it's a kind of give and take kind of situation and every athlete is different but I would always go back to them well what would you do on game day we'll try and fix these situations for you um I know I might sound harsh but again that could be the decision you have to make but I would definitely not do that for my juniors my juniors I would be a little bit more nicer and substitute exercises but they're a full-time athlete, you might have to have those harsh conversations. Um, yeah, that's how I would see it. Um, yeah. Mm. Yes, speaking from uh, the other <laughs> the other shoe as a male, I'm, I'm like, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and maybe this is not very empathetic, but it makes a lot of sense to, uh, um, you, you train to cope with the pain, as you mentioned previously. And, and even when you brought up weightlifting, it made me think like, I can literally count on one one hand the amount of times a female in my time with the Chinese women's team actually had their training modified um, due to like menstruation issues over 18 months. And they all worked on three-week cycles, like training cycles. So it definitely didn't sync up with a, uh, with a uh, sort of 28-day menstrual cycle as well. Um, yeah, that, that's interesting. Um, yeah, because I can't wear my belt on certain exercises because I'm just so bloated and it just feels like, especially when you're bleeding, the cramping just gets so much. So I have to opt for, say, a round down kind of option so I don't have to wear my belt. So like, but again, if I'm competing, I need my belt. So it's just like suck it up, chuck the pound and all down and kind of roll with it. Um, yeah. What, what would be your it's round hard. down options for you? Um, so my coach, he like, so my coach gives us all the weights because I'm a weightlifter now. We've given up javelin, um, but it's normally like drop a couple of kilos or give myself more rest. But it's usually depending on how I feel in warm up. So if I'm warming up for a snatch, if I know it's feeling a little bit off, 
um, and I'm not really producing enough power to get the bar up, I will probably either talk to him or if he's not there, I would take off, say, instead of doing 45, I'll do like 42. So it's not necessarily so low. It's still going to get what he wants. Um, but we did, we were lucky for four cycles to have it synced up with my period, but then that's all out of whack now with lockdown, unfortunately. It was great. It was great. There you go. There you go. The, the stars aligned. Um, the, the next thing I'm going to circle back, to, you, you mentioned some cases of, of reds and, uh, and females that might have amenorrhea. Um, I've definitely had situations like this where, where females literally don't have any menstruation. And for them, the, it's actually something that... Um, they're normally quite positive about in terms of like, I don't have to worry about it, uh, what's going on here. What's the sort of, is there anything a coach, like an SNC coach should be um, uh, being a proponent of in those situations or, or things you might suggest for them in those situations? I feel like the biggest role as an SNC we can play is having that conversation that it's not a good thing that you've lost your period or, um, try and be that person to kind of hopefully you're monitoring it you identify it and then if you're lucky enough to have a medical team involved in your team they are alerting them straight away you get them to talk to the athlete um and then hopefully we can set them up in that treatment pathway so they're eating enough they're getting a lot healthier and hopefully excuse me you're not putting them in that injury risk that you've caught it early enough um so luckily with one of my elite soccer girls um she i'm very worried that she could you know i was very worried she was going to potentially have um reds and i brought it up with her i was like oh how, like how's it all going and she was like oh i'm not keeping track i was like okay and i'm thinking back to the last time she reported i was like i think like she's one month out of actually experiencing it and soon she's going back with her team for their commitments and i'm just like hopefully praying that they have because she's not going to identify it but the medical team picks it up and when they do their routine screening in their way to training. So if the they clear all that at the start of their season, your conversation with them is going to be the way to catch it. So you need to be asking them if you're not monitoring it exactly with them writing it down and showing you, like, oh, so how's it all going? And especially if they're experiencing a lack of energy, that would be a sure sign. It's like, when do you get period loss? like start probing them questions and if they're the ones that aren't comfortable hopefully with your monitoring system you can pick it up that way but if they're comfortable with you get that conversation going and I guess if you're lucky enough like I am to have my throwers from age seven telling them that they're positive they should tell you straight away oh I skipped this like this month didn't appear and that way you can then report it report it to the parent report it to a doctor and get that process going because it's not not a very nice experience to have. Um, and then I guess if you can pick up that they've lost weight really, really quickly, that could be also a sure sign to ask him, are you eating enough? Like then you can bring that dietitian in to have that conversation if you can't have it, um, considering it's going to be within your scope of practice. But if you if you can pick up on cues or their energy, their weight, without having to talk to them about the period, that could also work, especially if you're a male um, and they're not very comfortable talking to you about it. And then you can maybe get, if you're lucky to have a female physio, get them to kind of start that conversation for you if you're not ready to. Um, but yeah, I guess our role would be make it a positive environment so they can tell you. And if you can't achieve that, pick up on their signs and then start that conversation with them and address kind of how, be careful with your language, how REDS is very important and should be solved as soon as possible. Um, yeah. For sure. Good points. Good points there. Um, look, you, you mentioned the the apps that you might use. Um, do you have any other resources out there for coaches that are interested or, or research um, that you mentioned might be coming out that you'd uh, like to point the listeners in the direction of? Yes, so there's heaps of good books out there. Um, so one of them is called Period Power by Maisie Hill. She um, is from England. She covers everything. So she talks about the phases of the cycle in that whole summer, winter kind of analogy. Um, she covers all the positive things that are good in each phase. What are your negative things to kind of watch out for, particularly with not just necessarily with sport, like but with relationships and how, like, if you're working, when's best time to kind of schedule meetings and 
deal with those annoying co-workers. Um, so really good for those athletes to learn about especially outside like life after sport. Um, it covers the changes from what happens in puberty, what happens in pregnancy, and that other taboo topic of menopause is mentioned as well. Um, it covers everything about self-care, which really brings it brings home on about the 100-day kind of window where it could interrupt that follicle growth. So covering dietitian advice, sleep, um, exercise kind of ties in there. So that's a really good book. Um, there is an Instagram page called The Period of the Period, and she is uh, an amazing researcher. She covers everything that comes around periods, the conditions associated with it, obviously reds and endometriosis. She talks about the injustice in the literature at the moment and how we need to gain more participants. So you can find everything on that page. Um, it's been a great inspiration for me to start my kind of Menzy Monday on my Instagram page to kind of raise awareness. Um, so and she also does a book club once a month and that's where I've gotten majority of my resources from. But if a coach doesn't really like to read much sciencey stuff, period power is like perfect because it's start written in a way that's really easy to understand. And then from there, you can go find the other books and start down your rabbit hole like I did two years ago. So um, those are probably your two best kind of avenues. And obviously if you look up menstrual cycles and how it affects an athlete in your search bars for academic research, a lot of things are coming out now. So you shouldn't be, shouldn't be too hard for you to find things because um, there's some good stuff coming out. Yeah, awesome. Awesome, Emily. So it was Period for Period and also uh, Period Power was the book. Period for Period was the Instagram page. Cool. Yes. Maisie Hill. There you go. Awesome. Hey, um, what a great conversation. Like I've, uh, I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. And um, it's given me a lot of things to think about. Even uh, just things that have been going on in the back of my head is that 100-day um, lead in <laughs> for, for like a major competition um, and, and tapering considerations around that and whether yeah. like that, that sort of three-month, the cycle three months out, three-week, four-week cycle three months out wants to be lighter than, than, uh, um, than others potentially so they don't have a really heavy bleed or a really mm -hmm. stressful um period in the in the actual competition that, that's yeah i've never um, come across that before that's that's super interesting um you know anyway i want to uh finish up wrap this up i want to finish up with some quick fire questions for you um <laughs> and uh you can you can talk uh talk away um go for your life on them if you want to answer them really short and curt you can answer them like that too but the first one is uh we've all had this aha moment um we've gone wow that's 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 what I need to know. Um, what's been your aha moment uh, where you just have to take something and apply it immediately to your practice? Uh, I think my I think most young coaches would be trying to copy everything that they see on Instagram and everything they've been taught in uni. And you know, we get taught a lot of the gold standard kind of approaches where you need all this fancy technology. My aha moment was I finished my masters at ECU and I got back after having my two week prac with amazing Doxo. And that whole kind of theme was like, you don't need to do a lot to achieve great results. So the whole kind of keep it simple approach was the key message I took home from that. And then I applied it and it was just like, oh my goodness, I can actually achieve so much more than what I was like, could fit in originally. So like, you know, we always complain that we don't have a lot of time and, you know, we're always arguing with coaches for time, like, session slots but if you kind of keep it simple and try and think of things that would target more than just one aspect you're going to get a lot of bang for your buck and when I started applying more more of those multi-joint complex movements that targeted more things especially if I was seeing an athlete only once a week I got so much more results we got quicker results as well um, so that was a big aha moment that not only did I put it in with the gym side of things but even with the warm-up for a gym session instead of you know chucking them on a bike that could be there for five minutes I started bringing in one percent kind of low oxidative skills to warm them up so then it hit all those little weaknesses that they were experiencing in their skill sides as well and then they were improving so much in that as well so that kind of 
those were those two aha moments of keeping it simple and bringing in these little one percent things changed the way I approach my coaching and I tested it out with my recreational netball team, which is my sister's team, and they sucked at rebounds. Horrible, would never do it. And then as soon as I tried to bring in that rebound skill into their warm-up, which is pretty much plyometrics, boom, game change. I was like, sweet, we are running with this approach from now on. It was like, hello, where were you at the start of my career? Um, so that probably be my big aha moment of keeping it simple and like bringing in those little skill one percenters. Because, I mean, if the coach, skills coach saw you do skill stuff in the gym for, like, the warm-up, wouldn't you hope they would give you more time in the gym because then they see that they're, like, you're ticking off those little 1% nuisances that they would be doing. So, I mean, I feel like you're feeling up, like, doing them a favour if you're doing it like mm. that. Um, so that was the way I would roll with it. And it has worked on two occasions. So I stand by it. Right on, right on. No, no, yep. Most coaches I know would be pretty happy. Um, for sure. Hey, uh, what are you most excited about developing in the next 12 to 18 months? And yourself um, and your learning and, and your, your sort of career development, professional development. That is a massive open question. Um, I really want to delve into making that whole, the big thing, making periods a very positive experience. I love how I'm getting to be a part of the whole period movement and making it a lot more common to have in conversation. Um, being in elite, that very elite female environment, it wasn't very discussed and I feel like it holds such a great potential. So really excited to bring that into my new position that I will be starting in a couple of weeks with um, Southern District Rugby. So to bring in that kind of positive environment would be really cool and you know take it further with other jobs that I have. Um, but I'm really looking forward to, I know this doesn't really sound like theoretical, but gaining in my own confidence and helping that the representation of female coaches in the SNC space. So I'm very lucky to be part of the Women's in Sport Forum that's hosted by Nikolai Morris and all these other amazing female coaches. And I feel like I'm very confident in my skills and how I coach, which is why I put my hand up for the ACA conference and doing the podcast. And I feel like I really want to work on that and help raise that awareness for females in SNC and also in sports. So, you know, putting my hand up to do, put my article in for the journal, which has been on the back burner, but doing that, doing hopefully putting, you know, putting my hand up to do the ACA courses to, you know, increase the females because I remember when I did it, there was two of us there with four male instructors. And I think I would have been a little bit more comfortable at 19 if I could talk to a female coach while I was there and get that kind of motivation going and make that spark grow even more. Um, so that's what I really would like to build in the next 18 months, the period power movement and increasing women in SNC because it's... You know, I may have noticed a massive change in my confidence and I want to help the next female coach come through, especially those young ones that are very nervous to start and may not have that confidence to stand up for themselves, which I know I didn't have in my intern years. So if I can help them, yeah, it would be good to kind of start that change. For sure, for sure. It's, it's Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's already changed a lot. I'll, I'll, I'll say that and, uh, and it's, it's great to see. Um, Hey, you mentioned the Maisie Hill book, Period Power. Is there anything else on your bookshelf you'd recommend for the uh, listeners? Not necessarily about um, menstruation, but <laughs> just about uh, training life in general. Um, well, I am a nerd when it comes to books. I have so many and I don't buy ebook. You know, you've got to get the real thing. Um, just looking up at my bookshelf now, um, Ooh. I mean, I finished Good to Great the other day and I really, really enjoyed that one by Jim Collins. Um, even though it's very businessy, it really honed in on those leadership skills, how to be that level five leader that he talks about and creating that correct culture, which I know I've had some struggles with in the past with my teams and I felt like if I had given this, this book to the coach, it could have fixed some of our team culture kind of communication problems and I... And if I'm in a position when I get to be the head SNC again, I get to select my staff. I 
I'm going to have the knowledge to pick the right people to put in my bus and, you know, drive my team to hopefully create success. So I like that one. Um, yeah, that one would cover the training side. So I've been reading more fiction lately, so been, you know, having given myself some downtime. Cool, yeah. cool. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Definitely. Emily, awesome conversation. Thank you so much. It's been, uh, been a treasure trove of information. Um, how do people get more information about you if, the, if they want to? Are you on Twitter? Is it Instagram? Um, uh, if you have a website? Where, where do they go? So my best point of contact for information or just to chat with me would be on Instagram. So for specific coaching information go to ej athletica on instagram but if you want so i rant on i have my two handles so i rant a little bit more on my other my personal one which is m dot wilson but wilson spelt with a, a one because someone has my name's very popular um but yeah so come across on both of those i do share snc stuff on both um but majority of the coaching videos Information period information is on the EJ Athletica one, but I do raise very important points on my personal one because that's where most of my coaches are that I communicate with. So kind of go between the two and you can easily find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm active on that as well. And just Emily Wilson is the name. Um, and that's it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Emily, like I said, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, pleasure to have you on, and um, I'm sure everybody's going to get a lot out of this conversation. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Okay, before we sign this episode off, we've got to say thanks again to Val Performance. They are tremendous supporters of the ASCA and this podcast. And look, this podcast would not be here without them. So if you are interested in any of their products, please check them out, whether it's the Force Frame. Human Track, Force Decks, uh, uh, Nordboard, Smart Speed. Go check out valdperformance.com or at Vald underscore performance on Instagram, at Vald Performance, no underscore on Twitter, and that'll get you to where you need to go. So that brings us to a close for another episode. I'm Joseph Coyne, and this is the ACA Podcast. Mm-hmm.